0: Elad Ben Israel, welcome back to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> it was it was really nice speaking to you last time. At time flew, so I'm glad we made this a two parter. So last time we ended uh, kind of uh, at a natural stopping point, uh, just when you left Amazon, and I think we were just talking about the CDK. Um, and uh, the, the the main topic, the supposed main topic, which was, of course, uh, Winglang, the, the programming language for the cloud. Um, so what made you decide that the world needed such a thing?
1: You know, throughout my career, you know, my focus has always been to, like, figure out what's the best tool uh, to build software. And I think, like, Uh, the CDK was a very, very natural step in that direction of being able to use programming languages in order to define the infrastructure and manage the complexity of your infrastructure using high level languages. And after I left Amazon, I was basically, I started, you know, talking to lots of people, uh, in my network from across the industry and trying to understand, you know, how people are building stuff from the cloud. You know, I had a very narrow, I had a very narrow view of like how Amazon's doing it, how AWS is doing it, how AWS's customers are doing it. Uh, and we all know that, you know, this industry is very diverse and there's many, there are many different, uh, technology stacks, different cloud providers have different approaches, companies have different approaches. Um, there was a few things that I learned as I was talking to people, um, one is that not everybody can be like Amazon in a way. I feel like that's that's a very like an Amazon. There's no DevOps. Uh, engineers basically own their entire stack. Uh, they, they, they every every team has full responsibility on the entire stack, and uh, developers are expected to understand all of the layers. And so they they understand how VMs are provisioned, how VPCs are configured. Um, um, isn't that exactly what DevOps is? That's exactly what DevOps is. But there's no separate role, right? Like there's no there's no dedicated DevOps team. Yeah, there's no dedicated DevOps ah, person, I see. Right?
0: right? Yeah, which is which is arguably the most DevOps way to be to not have a DevOps team.
1: Right, right. Some would some would argue that this is what DevOps is about, right? Like it's basically this idea of. Uh, of developers doing the the operations and the the rest of this stuff, um, but to be honest, I feel like it's it, it works really well for for a company like AWS, for, for Amazon and AWS because AWS is building infrastructure, right? Like the services that AWS are offering are infrastructure services for all intents and purposes, and, and eventually it makes sense for developers there to, to have this full understanding of the stack because in many ways uh they're building those services. But as you start talking to companies like you know, companies that are building applications, you realize that that doesn't really make total sense for, for you know for a company like like Fiverr or like uh Netflix or like uh um YouTube or, 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 yeah, or a SaaS, SaaS company. Yeah. yeah like SaaS companies, consumer companies and and
0: just smaller companies because you need you need quite remarkable skill sets if you want every one of your engineers to understand the the whole depth of the stack and i suppose Amazon can afford to do that because they have the reputation they have the money they have the reach to find hire and retain those people whereas a, a smaller company certainly would not
1: Yeah, I think that it's not even, it's not even about the the people in a sense. It's also, it's, it's more about the focus of the engineering team. Like if you think about the engineering teams at Airbnb, right? Like the the developer, the developers, the application developers, their problem space is apartment rentals, right? Like they, and they have to create a softer model. To support this business, right, and so their the problem that they're just trying to solve is how do we how do we design this system that will support this business, right? Like the support of various use cases, the support, the complexity of you know tax calculations across different territories and uh, refunds, and there's an immense amount of, of you know software that's responsible to support this business. And they don't really need to care about, they don't really want to care about how the network operates behind that service, right? Like that's not an interesting thing for, yeah. for the developers at, at um, you know, at Airbnb. It's not that true for AWS teams, right? Like when an AWS team builds, when, when someone's building DynamoDB, right? Like it's a very different level of the staff, right? Because they're not building an application, they're actually building infrastructure. Um so it's not just about you know finding the right people or being able having the privilege of, of it's it's more about how you design your how do you focus you know and 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 by the way amazon.com the the retail side of amazon is very similar to to Airbnb in that sense and and we talked about it last time a little bit is that most of the retail business at amazon when i was there at least was very simple, was, was somewhat decoupled from the DevOps side, from the operational side, because they were building Java servers, right? Like, and when you're building a Java server, basically your application is this Java thing that runs on multiple machines and that's it. You're like, you're not, there's not a, there's not a lot of infrastructure involved in that, right? And in a sense, the, the boundary is really clear. And so that was really important to, to understand because I feel like what we're seeing in the cloud industry today is, uh, and I can't recall if we talked about it last time or not, but we're basically seeing that the cloud is still in early adoption. It's kind of mind blowing in a in a way, right? Because we're all... You know, we all think that everybody's already in the cloud and all companies have moved already, but most of the IT spend globally is still not in the cloud. Like over, I think last time I checked was like over 80% of the IT spend is still in, you know, private data centers and and internal. Um, And and so, and, and it's really interesting as, you know, people are trying to, help developers use the cloud is tr- to try to understand why is that, right? Like, what's the reason? And I think that there are multiple reasons, but I think one of the reasons is is that it doesn't make sense for a team at a, at a financial institution that builds the tax calculation system or an air, at Airbnb to have to understand all the all these layers, right? Like you said. Yeah. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense economically. And also, it's also a very different role, right? Like if you think about it, the passion for doing infrastructure and the passion for building applications, for building software is not the same thing. You know, some developers share, you know, are kind of like in this they have the both passions in a sense. i could i I'm one of those people, right? Like I feel like i'm I'm excited about configuring a VPC in the same way that I'm excited about you know architecting a distributed system. But I think most developers really don't have that same connection to all of the layers. And I, and in throughout the history of computing, we've been able to actually decouple those things so that people who are great at doing one thing don't have to do the other thing and vice versa. And I think what happened with the cloud is that it kind of forced us to the in in, in a sense the DevOps movement and kind of created this. Middle middle role where where you're connecting you're gluing those two those two layers together into a single person and again some people can do it very well but it's kind of like the full stack movement at, at some point where where you know everybody was yeah from now on everybody's going to do full stack front end and back end and and slowly we're kind of waking up from that idea and realizing you know doing great front end is not the same as doing great back end and you can maybe start like that but as your system grows and becomes more complex it's a very different mindset and and people are very good at like pixel perfect aesthetics and you know designing the the you know creating beautiful front ends they're not going to be the, the same person as really good at like designing a distributed system that's going to be highly you know effective and blah 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 right? so I, I feel like it's it's okay to to, to realize that you know, the, there are multiple disciplines, engineering disciplines that are involved in delivering, you know, an application for the cloud or assisted in the cloud. And, and, and it's really important to make sure that each one of those disciplines has the right set of tools and can work at their own layer. And, and what I've seen is that basically if you've removed that layering, right? That it, with this idea of DevOps and uh, you know. Full, I would say, full backend kind of uh, approach. Uh, so that was one interesting observation. Uh, I think the other interesting observation was that it doesn't really matter how companies, which which platforms people used, uh, which tech stacks they used, what was the organizational structure internally, whether there was this centralized DevOps team or DevOps people in every team or a platform team or. If you look, if you kind of like take a step back from that, uh, you see the same pain exists across the industry. Uh, and the pain was that f- people feel feel very disempowered to deliver to the cloud. As the company grows, as system becomes more complex, you get into this kind of deadlock feeling where in order to deliver something, you're really depending, dependent on either knowledge that doesn't belong to your layer right like oh shit now i have to understand how a vpc works right like and and i actually had that experience when i first used uh when i first used aws uh, vpc i was like we were working on this project and I was asking this uh one of the engineers in our team to install a elastic cache redis you know and redis required a vpc And so he came, comes back to me and he says, well, we need a VPC for that. It was like, okay, great. you know, just, you know, add a VPC to to our, to our uh, CloudFormation template. And after a week, he comes back like sweating, literally. And he shows me like a 40, a set of 40 resources that are required just in order to set up a VPC, right? Like the default, simple VPC for using Elastic Cache. And I was like, no way this is so complicated. And as I dive deeper and deeper, I was like, oh shit, this is this is actually how AWS expects people to to define a VPC. It's like all oh, the subnets and n gateways and route ta- routing tables, but and you know, granted, is a very powerful tool, but I don't care about this, right? Like just give me a VPC so I can use my my, my caching system. Um and so I feel like um, the 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 that this pain of disempowerment this, this pained pain of not being able to kind of deliver quickly and stay in your creative flow as a developer you know the, the requirement to always go and deploy something to the cloud in order to test it to me is is horrible right? like I, I i you know we talked about it like when I, was, when I was a kid, I used to read or write code and in Borland C++ and I could see results within milliseconds, right? Like I would just like write your code, run it and see how it works. I lost it in the cloud. Yeah.
0: The feedback loops become bigger.
1: Yeah. It's like minutes, sometimes 15 minutes, 10 minutes before I can see what's going on or I have to call my DevOps team to provision a bucket or provision a queue so that the and then people have to understand exactly how to set up, wire up the IAM policies so that it works. And if it doesn't work, they would just like put star, star, and then eventually someone will freak out. Yeah. <laughs> or one time
0: out of five, something else in your pipeline will break, which is not the thing you care about, but you need to drop everything and fix it in order to continue developing exactly. stuff that you're actually doing. Yes, absolutely.
1: Exactly. And so I, I, I kind of realized the problems are kind of ubiquitous there there it doesn't really matter how you use this new amazing thing we call the cloud uh, this pain is very evident across across the industry and and for me it was like okay so you know I'm I'm, I'm I'm as I said you know for me it's like okay so what's the right where where is the missing tool right like I feel like we're not using the right tool I it, it, one of the things that I remember as a kid, my, I used to work in, uh, in the garden with my dad every a few weekends and he was constantly hammering pun intended, constantly telling me, you've got to use the right tool first, find the right tool before you do something. Because I would always like, oh, I have this, I have this thing in my hand right now that so I'm just going to use it to open the screw, but it's not the right, you know what I'm saying? So I, I constantly had this like thing in my head It's like, okay, you got to use the right tool to do the job because otherwise it's going to be extremely inefficient. Like, so this gut feeling as a tool builder, as a maker, you know, it's like, I don't have the right tool in my hand. And eventually, you know, we see this industry, you see the industry trying to solve many of those pains in different ways downstream throughout the development life cycle. You know, some folks are building really cool ways for you to... Run your lambda function locally and debug it through a proxy or the cloud, you know. So that they're solving the specific problem of being able to, you know, iterative of iterate on the on the piece of code that you're just writing right now. Or some people are trying to solve some of the pain around the the decoupling between DevOps teams and Dev Dev teams using platforms and internal platforms and and other other uh, solutions like that. But eventually if you kind of go back in the developer lifecycle all the way to the beginning, you have programming languages, right? Like that's the first tool that developers use in order to dis- design, to, to express what they wanted from the system. And and, and, you, and you look at the reality of the cloud and you realize that basically the programming languages that developers use to build applications for the cloud they're all designed around the programming paradigm where your computer is a single machine, right? Like even cloud-native, quote unquote, languages like Go or Rust, which was designed, which were designed after the cloud has, uh, you know, has, have emerged. They were they are still designed around the same kind of idea that you write your code, you compile it, you get an executable, and you run it on a machine. Right? Like that's basically the, the boundaries and, and, you know, different programming, programming languages have different ways to support applications that are built in the cloud. But eventually it comes down to the the point that when you're writing an application using any of the, I'll call them traditional programming languages, uh, the compiler sees only what happened, what's happening inside a single machine every time. And, and the reality of the cloud is completely different at this point. You know, a cloud system, a cloud application is a distributed system, right? So your code is already running on multiple machines and on multiple compute platforms in, you know, Lambda functions or containers or jobs or whatever. It, all The other part is that, that your code intimately depends on cloud services in order to operate. And, and those cloud services are not external to your code. They're part of your system, right? Like if I if I have a bucket or a queue or a topic or um, you know, uh, or 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 any other service that I'm using as part of my application, those services are part of my application. They're not an external thing. And as so long as we're thinking about them as an external thing we're unable to actually well integrate with them, right? Like we're integrating them da- just down Dallas street, right? Like I'm writing my code and then I can go, I have to deploy it so that I, I can integrate with this cloud service and see if it's actually working. And so the whole idea is to basically move everything to the programming language, bring the cloud into the programming language so that both infrastructure resources and all of the runtime code of your application, doesn't matter where it's executed. Is modeled in the same code base. And we have a single compiler that understands the entire picture, right? It understands that this Lambda function is interacting with this resource call you know, with this queue or with this bucket. And when it's interacting with them, it, uh, it's performing certain operations on that bucket. And so now the compiler can take care of all the complexity, right? Like it can say, oh, I see that this Lambda function is uh, putting a file in the bucket. That means that it needs an IEM policy that allows it to perform this specific operations on this specific resource. And that's just an implementation detail, right? Like it's not even something the developer needs to say explicitly because they just already told the compiler that they want to put a file to the bucket, right?
0: Yeah. So that's, I had a look at the um, the, the the ethos, the design tenets of waygang. I, I suppose that's what you mean when you say it should
1: have uh, batteries included, right? Well, I mean, batteries included comes from a different uh, different aspect of the design. Is basically saying, I want the tool chain to just contain everything, right? I don't want to need to install the compiler and the package manager and the linter and the formatter and the ID extension that, like the reality that's, you know, you know, as we're designing and building and this, this new programming language, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to think to think to think in a modern way, right? Like it kind of look look back, looking back at the JavaScript and typescript ecosystems, and I'm like, oh my God, this is horrible. You want to get started with a project. You need like ten different tools and combine them together with these like intricate configuration files uh, just in order to build you know in just to get started. And so, uh that's where this is coming from like it's like this is this needs to be batteries included in the sense that it's uh you don't need to go to the shop the, and envi-
0: get that. the environment that you're setting up itself is, is batteries included yeah exactly yeah yeah okay and then, and and so what we've talked about just now is kind of the implicit dependency resolution it's the same problem that you mentioned before with the VPC where you just wanted uh what is it a redis uh, redis cluster and now you needed the BPC, and now you needed uh, and, and, uh, a way to egress and you needed root tables and you needed knuckles and, and, and whatnot. Um, is, is there a term in the industry for that kind of implicit dependency resolution? Um,
1: not, not necessarily. I think that uh, the other way that we're thinking about it sometimes is dependency injection, which is something that people commonly use in programming languages. Uh sounds or in works. What's that? Sh-
0: it sounds spooky, though. the The word injection sounds like I know, it's reminiscent of SQL injection. Sounds like so, an attack to yeah, me. I, I'll, <laughs>
1: I'll, I'll I'll explain it concretely. Right, and again, Wing. One of the one of the interesting things we're doing with Wing or Winglang is, uh, is 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 you you can write code in a portable way because it's almost a side effect of of some of the decisions that we made, like. And, and let me explain. So when you're, when you're using WinWay, uh, you know, with, with Wingrun, we are shipping a standard library, an, an SDK, like every programming language. And as we've been thinking about, okay, so what does this SDK needs to contain? So obviously it needs to contain all the standard stuff that you expect from a programming language, but it also needs to contain so standard cloud resources. The goal of a a standard library in programming languages is to abstract the platform that that you're using, right? Like when I'm writing a file in Node.js or in Java or in .NET, I don't care if I'm running on Windows or or Linux, right? I can just write a file. And because I have this SDK, this this standard library that abstracts away the platform. And, and, And if you're thinking about this as a cloud programming language, like what's the platform, what's the operating system? The operating system is the cloud provider. It's like AWS or GCP or Azure or your local machine. You know, one of the, one of the goals for Wing was to bring back this develop, this, this creative flow, right? Like give developers the ability to iterate very, very quickly or in their entire cloud applications on their local machine, no internet required. And so being able to actually write code that we can simulate locally very easily requires this abstraction layer. And so now when you're doing new buckets in a way or new queue, um, you're basically instantiating something that's abstract, right? Like you're not saying I want an SQS queue or I want an Azure bucket. You're basically saying I want a cloud queue. It's it's a, it's, it's an abstract uh, class in a way. And it's a, that's a cool idea, right? Like I feel from a language design perspective in Ring, you can literally instantiate abstract classes, which is a, I don't know that uh, other programming languages uh, have that idea modeled like that. Most programming languages don't have support for that in the language. Uh, usually there's uh, some kind of a dependency injection framework that people commonly use, uh, and, and that takes care of these types of use cases where you say, give me something that implements this interface, and then later on you bind... You know, you provide the implementation for that uh, for that uh, for that dependency injection system. So we has that built in um, in order to support these this portability, right? Like so, you can actually compile a Wing program either to run locally, to run on AWS, to run on Azure, to run on GCP. The same code will run on all of those systems in the same way.
0: I see. I see. So I'm gonna. I'm going to tell you how I'm picturing this just from, from all, from my very cursory reading and your, your explanations, and then you can correct my interpretation. You yeah. Say, or uh, I want to, I'll say,
1: I'll say in the other way around you'll explain how you're, you'll, you'll tell me how you understand it. And then I'll go back and f- fix everything the word are about how we explain it. Cause we're really, it's hard. It's really hard. Like, I feel like one of the challenges in this project is that it's, because we're shifting something on the left in a sense we're, we're changing something very early in the, the it's a new paradigm yeah that lots of value is created downstream and so sometimes it's really hard to kind of like find the thing that makes more sense as the first anyway go on I, I, i'm listening
0: yeah so i'm picturing that if i want to write a an application that uh, has some code of its own uh, and it will leverage some cloud resources i can write all of that in my one Winglang project and the Winglang compiler uh, if i tell it for example compile this for uh, aws it will write uh, some of some of the actual logic so what would traditionally have been the actual programmers programming code it might um Make that into an Lambda function, or it might compile that straight into uh, a binary that runs on Linux and and deploy it on an EC2 instance. And other parts of my code, uh, it will um, kind of implicitly figure out what the dependencies are. Maybe provision uh, an API gateway to then point to the Lambda function or point to um, uh, the the EC2 instance, and it'll it'll also ancillary configure. Um, the firewall rules, the listeners, and all that kind of stuff. So different parts of my of my code, um, whatever that looks like, uh, in, inside the project. But from in that single project, different parts of my code will be treated completely differently. Some of them will literally be compiled into uh, an executable for some sort of classic operating system. Some of them uh will will be will be kind of taken as is and be script languages, for example, on a, a lambda function, and some of them will um not be mapped to actual code at all, but will result in uh cloud resources being provisioned.
1: Pretty close. <laughs> no, it, it is pretty close. I feel like it's it's simpler than what you're describing, which is okay. I hope better. In a way, like the so a little the way where we're when you're compiling a way program, you get an artifact that contains Terraform and JavaScript. And so the Terraform is basically the cloud infrastructure and all the resources that you need for your for your application. Yep. And if you compile it to AWS, it will be AWS resources. If you compile it to Azure, it'll be Azure resources. And will also support multi-cloud situations, or you can use resources across multiple clouds, but eventually you get a Terraform file that you can go and apply through standard Terraform tools, right? And then the JavaScript is basically a bunch of JavaScript programs that will be executed inside compute platforms in on the provider of your choice. And so if you're. And so, some of them will be run inside a lambda function. Some of them will be run in uh, in containers. But for now, we're just we're just outputting JavaScript, no JS, basically no JS programs, right? Uh, so it was pretty close. I, I think I think the other thing that maybe also a bit, you know, simpler than what you described is like we're not trying to implicitly deduce too many things about your architecture. Like the way the way I see it is that the idea is not to hide the infrastructure from the developer. The idea is to give the developer the ability to use the infrastructure in their application more naturally. So you know, the same way you're as a developer, you're you know instantiating a a hash map or a dictionary or an array, right, in memory inside your machine, and there are there's a it's an abstraction, right? Like there's some RAM being allocated and some you know, some data structure that's being created inside this RAM. All of that stuff is completely hidden from you. You're just doing new dictionary, right? Uh, and so the same way with the cloud, right? If like you want to create a, re- you want to use a bucket, you can just do new bucket. And behind the scenes, it implies that you need an S3 bucket. When you're compiling database, you need an S3 bucket. It needs to have certain uh, permissions. It needs to have certain, you know, configuration, the way you're interacting with it using some certain clients, all of that stuff is, that's the, that's the stuff that we're abstracting, but it's not like you're going to do, you're just going to write some code, at least not in the first layer, right? Like it's like any programming language, you can build abstractions. And so as you build abstractions, you can create more and more magic, but the first layer of a wing is, is, is pretty low level in a sense, right? Like it's basically, you know, here are a bunch of building blocks. Now you can use these building blocks to build cloud, distributed cloud applications use certain sets of, you know, standard resources that are commonly used in cloud, you know, cloud services. And, and we take care of a lot, a lot of the details of, of how to implement those resources on certain targets. Um, And so I think like, that's another thing, right? But it's not about implicitly deducing a lot of stuff about your infrastructure, because I feel like it's really important. Eventually it, it is important that developers understand the constraints and the uh, implications of using of building a distributed system, right? Like I'm not trying to tell to say that uh, you can build your system as if it was running on a single machine, and eventually we'll figure out everything in order to make it work on the cloud. Because I don't really believe that that's a good engineering model.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. And so, some of the some of the kind of concerns I was thinking about is if if you were hiding too much from the developers and kind of coddling them too much and 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 basically having the the approach of "You don't need to worry your pretty little head about this, we'll take care of that that could only backfire and i uh if I think about some other high level languages and 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 uh so people who don't really understand them uh might inadvertently do really inefficient stuff like if if you have some structure that you need to run a binary search on and you decide to go with the linked list just because you don't really understand how any of it works you know one or two levels below that's going to be terrible so um Mm -hmm. it's 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 good to see that you have an approach of uh, empowering the developers really not not um not coddling them but just giving them more responsibility but is a, a way to manage that responsibility more more easily and and more at scale
1: yeah the the other part of this is that i feel like the responsibility of the developer versus the responsibility of the devops engineer the it engineer the sysops or whatever you know that um that part of the uh of the system is you call it um wing has this idea of compiler plugins and can the way I the way I sometimes think about it is that developers work above the abstraction and plugins work below the abstraction. And so technically, when you're compiling a Wing program, you can attach plugins that will completely customize everything about how your infrastructure eventually looks like. And so let's take an example. I want all my buckets to be encrypted. And that's a concern that belongs not to the developer. That's a concern that dev- that belongs to the infrastructure team, right? And so the developer doesn't care if the bucket is encrypted, and so they should not just create buckets and use them as they see fit for their application. They should understand that that's a bucket. They should understand that it's a distributed, com- uh, to, you know, uh, this uh, component, etc. So there are some sub- some constraints from from the distributed system that that developers have to understand exactly like the example of the linked list. And, uh, you know, uh, but eventually you can, uh, the platform team or the infrastructure engineer can give the developer a plugin and the dev- and then they can attach it to the compiler. And when they compile to the cloud, the plugin will just go and make sure that all the buckets are encrypted. And the plugin actually works at, at below the abstraction, So the plugin can actually use any specific, you know, provider-specific capabilities that 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 they need or tweak anything that they want eventually below the abstraction that the developer works at. So I feel like giving these, creating that boundary is a, is a huge empowerment for both sides, right? Like, because it gives both disciplines the ability to apply their concerns at the right level, right? As opposed to having to you know, oh, you know, every developer now needs to make sure that every bucket that they provision is always encrypted. And if they don't, then we run some tests to make sure and they they, they give them training to understand how encryption works, right? Like that's completely inefficient, right?
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Which brings me to the next question, and it's... um. I think it's an interesting one, and I, I, it's also the one that reson that that I've read most online. Why did you decide to do to make this a new language rather than just a framework for an existing language, such as JavaScript? Especially seeing as a lot of it is JavaScript or TypeScript compatible and leverages JavaScript and and TypeScript.
1: So the answer is that existing languages can't really express the idea of cloud applications. That's the reality. Um, the, the concept of distributed, the uh, distributed computation, you know, a JavaScript and node, and you know, it's not designed to express this idea that a certain function is executed in a completely different isolation boundary. Now I could say, oh, you know, here's a function. And I think, you know, th- th- there's a, some really cool example, like Pulumi is doing something very similar. They call them magic functions where you can actually write your handler code inside your Pulumi uh, code base. But it's, for for lack of a better word, it's a hack in a sense, right? Because what happens is that you look at the the Pulumi um, engine basically looks at this uh, function and it serializes the code inside this function, but then there's no disciplined way to interact with the environment. And so you can create a variable outside of this function and, and, and reference it if you want. And, and then the semantics of that interaction are completely undefined, right? And so you have to move a lot of responsibility to the developer back to the developer in order to understand, oh yeah, this function is actually running outside of this scope and I need to make sure that I'm serializing everything that goes in and everything that goes out. And so it's a leaky abstraction in that sense. And so that's just one example, right? The other example is is cloud resources. You know, this idea that a cloud resources has two phases of when when you're writing when you're building stuff for the cloud, you actually have two phases in your in your execution. There's the deployment phase, and there's the execution phase, the runtime phase. And when you're interacting with these resources during deployment, you're interacting with their control plane. You're interacting with the configuration of the resource, of the system. And so, uh, and when you're interacting with a resource at front and you're interacting it with the data plane, you're actually saying, you know, so a good example would, would be when I am defining a bucket, uh, I can define whether it's encrypted or not, or whether it's public, it has public access or not. That stuff that, that belongs in, we call it the pre-flight phase, right? Like it's before you're actually running, there's a there's complete API that you can interact with these resources and configure them. And then when you're actually interacting with the resource of a Rato, a bucket would have put and get and list and other sets of APIs. And so when wing actually has this idea of multiple interfaces for a class, just again, it doesn't exist in JavaScript, doesn't exist in TypeScript. And you can say, well, okay, you know, you can put just the union of all that interface and the developer would need to understand that they can call this here and they can't call this here. But again, that's a leak, right? That's an abstraction leak. And, and, and so forth and so on. Actually, Wing has multiple aspects that are related to cloud programming and designed specifically for cloud programming that, again, you can add more frameworks and more libraries and more tools to your tool chain and more rules of how to interact and more type, you know, maps and, but the whole idea is to simplify. The whole idea is to reduce the complexity and give developers the ability to use the cloud with much, much less learning curve than exists today. And again, I've built the CDK to support five different programming languages. Like when we started to build the CDK, I was like, we need to make sure that this is supported in every programming language that, you know, or or in popular programming languages so that it's accessible to as many people as possible. And we created this technology called JSII to support this uh, idea and, you know, I'm the first person to attempt to support, uh, you know, to do what AWS calls meet developers where they are in a sense. But eventually I realized that there's a limit to what you can do with the existing languages, because. Fundamental assumptions of those languages, and and Wing is 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 basically an attempt to re- release the shackles of the exi- of the old world. Right, you say, okay, the cloud is is here to stay. It's 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 a programming paradigm. It's a new programming paradigm. It's kind of like object oriented programming was. You know, initially I used C to write object oriented systems. It was really fun, right? Like you could like write these structs and every method, every function would take the first parameter. And then you could it's V tables and all that stuff. But that's a, that's a great example of a leaky abstraction, right? Like as a developer, you had to understand how all these layers work under the hood in order to be able to use this idea of object-oriented programming. And then slowly, you know, programming languages started to support object-oriented programming as first class citizens and, and within the language and Object-oriented programming was democratized, right? Because that allowed more people to access this new paradigm without having to understand how to craft V tables, right? In memory. And I feel like this cloud is just going through the same process, right? Like there's this new paradigm, we, we even call it sometimes cloud-oriented programming, right? Because like, I'm thinking about how to solve problems very differently than I used to think. And programming languages just didn't catch up at this point. And so, with Wing is is kind of like the C++ of the cloud, in a sense. Like, it's the first time someone's tried to design a language that's tailored for this new computing paradigm. And I know it's a very, you know, ambitious, audacious, audacious or whatever. Like, it's a very big goal. Obviously, we're not, I'm not underestimating it, believe me. Um, if we could have built this as a framework, we would have. Um, But I feel like when you see this in action, I mean, I'm, I'm just excited every time I see this because it's just, you can just feel this like relief of all these layers and baggage and tools and, and things you have to know and understand in order to build these complex applications, just like changes the game in my, in my mind.
0: So your new programming language feels like a, a good therapy session.
1: <laughs> yes, especially, especially if, you, if you've been traumatized, right? The... <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: All right, um, two more
0: questions. Um, I want, want us to walk through a very, very simple but concrete uh, example of a distributed app and how you'd program that in uh, WingLang. And it's entirely possible that the whole premise is already flawed, in which case uh, we can talk about that. Let's say I want, uh, I was thinking about the simplest thing I can do. I want a kind of two tier application. One is one or more compute instances, whatever it is, that generate the random number, put it into a queue, and the second one reads it from a queue and multiplies it by two. It's absolutely pointless, but it's. Simple. Am I already thinking about this wrong? No. Okay. So, how how would you how much code would you need to write in Winglang? Um, and as 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 a proficient Winglang developer who understands this new paradigm, how would you think about it?
1: So basically, you need uh, some kind of a compute resource. To generate the numbers, right? And and, and Wing has currently supports one compute resource type called function, which is you know kind of akin to a lambda function or to a Azure function, but uh, our SDK will support a service as well, which is kind of like a long running compute. So. Uh, and, and it would map into a container, right? And you're uh, probably some kind of it, a VL container, fargate Fargate, or whatever, whatever supported by your, your provider. And so in your case, if you want something that will continuously generate these numbers, uh, then I would use something like a long running service, right? Like I would use something like a service. And so you'd basically write something like, let's say you have the N is the number of, uh, of, uh, of workers, right? And so you do something like for for I equals zero to n new service, right? There's a there's a resource called service. So it's gonna be cloud.service. and then within the cloud.service constructor, you'll pass in what we call an in-flight closure, which is similar to a function closure in existing languages, but it's something that runs in the cloud, right? Like it's this this is this app this distributed isolation boundary. And so within that line of code, you say saying new cloud.service in-flight closure. And then within this in-flight closure, you just do while true, and then, you know, generate random number, uh, and then you'd need a queue to push it into. So before this for loop for, for, for statement, I would just create a queue. So as I let queue equals new cloud queue. So now I have a queue object, uh, called queue. And then within this in-flight closure, right. I would just do q.push and put the random number. Now, even so far, just imagine what's going on behind the scenes, right? Because this q thing is a resource, is a cloud resource that's provisioned by Terraform or by CloudFormation or by some provisioning engine. And in lo- inside like container, inside my service, I'm interacting with that resource just by calling a method, right? I'm just a q.push and that q.push Translated into, okay, I need to bring the SDK. I need to instantiate it. I need to know the QI uh, URL. I need the, I need the permissions so that I can actually perform this. And so all of that stuff is completely, completely implicit because again, I've said, oh, I've said everything I need to say, right? And so, and then maybe sleep, uh, sleep 500 milliseconds and loop again. So that's, what's going on inside your in-flight closure. And then on the other side, boy, you want not you want some kind of a consumer. For the queue, right? So you you just write at the end of after all this if statement a for loop, you would basically write something like queue dot consumer, and then you can pass in another com- compute resource. Let's say you can you pass in a lambda function, right? So you say a new lambda function, new cloud function, and another in flight closure, and that in flight closure would basically take in uh, a parameter that's the, the random number. And so you'll take it, that random number, you multiply it by two and you'll put it in a log or something like that. So I think overall, I would say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven lines of code, eight, eight lines of code for this entire system. Yeah. And you can run it locally. And so we have this simulator and we have a, in a graphical visual tool that will show you the architecture as you're. Oh, As wow. you're writing your code in real time, it's just like auto—you know hop reloaded every time you save your code. It'll just pop in to existence, and you can run it and test it and check that it's working and it's doing what you want. And, and then you can go and just run, right, wing compile targets AWS," and you'll get a Terraform file and JavaScript file. And you go Terraform apply, and it'll be deployed to your cloud provider.
0: Wow, that's that's fantastic. I I feel like this has really helped me understand because looking at it like this, it's literally like I'm I'm provisioning a local queue which would just you know have been uh, a bit of memory on my system, and I'm interacting with that like I would if I wrote wrote a program locally. But it's it's all this. Distrib- yeah, um, I I feel like this has really helped me, and now I have a million more questions. I'm wondering about, like, do you have any cool features for kind of rolling deployments and upgrades? Can I uh, use existing resources, like if the queue already exists, can I import that somehow? How are you planning to to monetize this at all, or is it just really because it's a really cool project? But I hope, because we are out of time, I hope the listeners will feel the same and then we'll leave them wanting a bit. They can go and and do their own research if, if, if they're as intrigued as I am now. So one last question and then we'll call it a day. Do we call it Winged or wing Lang?
1: Hi there, Wingling is, uh, Lang is great. Um, and yes, I think all those questions that you asked are relevant and interesting and uh, we can answer some of them and some of them we still don't know. Um, and I invite everybody, anyone to kind of hop into our Slack channel and chat with us and ask questions and let us know, you know, what do you think? And it's very early, right? Like we're still in alpha. Um, and so it's a great time to shape where things are going and help us kind of make decisions about what's the right thing to, to build next. And there's actually kind of like a growing contributor community that's, that are helping with the projects. And it's, it's, it's really amazing to see everybody, uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, everyone that's involved already, and the team is, is you know, everybody, uh, all of us are really, really passionate about this project and excited about uh, the potential, um, so uh, inviting everyone to participate. Perfect. So where can they find you, winglang.io? winglang.io
0: or uh, wing on GitHub. Perfect. If anyone's interested, go have a look. And that, thank you so much for being on this episode. And who knows, maybe we'll record another one in a few months.
1: Thank you. Great great to be here.